Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax in Oakton, Virginia. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. Today, after the service, there will be a time for discussion about something important to Unitarian Universalism that happens upon occasion and throughout history. For those of you who haven't studied our history, we come from what is known as a living tradition. It says it right here on this book, Singing the Living Tradition. Yes. <laughs> a tradition that has practiced the thought that revelation is not sealed and perhaps there is no such thing as revelation at all. Article 2 of the UUA bylaws is the place where the statement lives about our agreement as an association to affirm and promote our Unitarian Universalist principles. Article 2 of the UUA bylaws is probably not something that most of you have ever studied in deep detail, but it is an important shared understanding of what grounds us as UUs. Section C-15, parentheses C, parentheses 4 of the U I'm serious. <laughs> of the UUA bylaws reads, if no review and study process of Article 2 has occurred for a period of 15 years, the Board of Trustees shall appoint a commission to review and study Article 2 and to recommend appropriate revisions, if any, to the Board of Trustees. And that is what this is all about. Now, with that said, a minister friend of mine told me the other day that she was going to name her sermon on this subject, I like my living tradition just the way it is. <laughs> Did you get that back there? <laughs> I like the living tradition just the way it is. Um, for those who, who, oh, sorry, I got lost. For the, uh, this, uh, right? <laughs> okay, there we go. There's always been a struggle between orthodoxy or quoting now the encyclopedia Britannica, orthodox, from the Greek orthodoxios, of the right opinion, true doctrine, and its inherence, as opposed to what we, you use, have often defined ourselves, which is being heretics, or those who don't have the right opinion, and support heterodox, or heretical doctrines, or holding a religious opinion at odds with what is generally accepted. It's hard to pinpoint the moment that Unitarian or Universalist heretical theology was specifically uttered for the very first time aloud. We often trace our Unitarian roots back to the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE and the plight of Arius. The Arian doctrine concerned the unity of God as opposed to the Trinity. And Arius, in opposition to Athanasius and others who formed this council, believed that Jesus was created from God and not of God, and was subordinate to the Creator, not separate from. In other words, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were not co-equal. This was heresy at the time, and became the outsider view to the official theology of the Church of Rome. No one has ever called Arius 
Arius, a Unitarian. That was a derogatory name given to others later in history, but he did serve as a source of inspiration for Unitarian theology. We, Unitarians and Universalists, have always been filtering theology through the fire of reason and current culture to reflect on where we are theologically. If you take the beginning and belonging class that Reverend Abby Nancy and I teach, or my UU 101 class that I have periodically teach, you can hear about this more in detail. But for today, I want to highlight a couple of moments where the balance between orthodoxy and heresy have clashed. In 1531, writings were published titled The Errors of the Trinity, written by Unitarian Michael Servetus in opposition to the orthodoxy of the day and in direct opposition to Calvinism under which he lived, denying the divinity of Jesus and affirming the unity of God. In 1531, denying the divinity of Jesus. His writings claimed, as opposed to accepted belief, he said that he could not find one word about the Trinity nor about its persons, nor about its essence, nor about a unity of substance, nor about one, one nature of several beings anywhere in the New Testament. Not one word. For this, he was martyred, martyred and actually burned at the stake. Burned at the stake. Although I have some disagreements with our present-day written statements, I do not intend to go that far today. The struggle between theological orthodoxy and heresy had a much bigger price tag in those days, but it set both Unitarianism and Universalism through periods in our history where we filtered what was currently accepted through the fire of thought, and as Emerson might have said, and we frequently professed what was different than what had already been. gave a speech to the graduating Divinity School students at the academic institution that served as the center of theological Unitarian thought at the time, a place called Harvard Divinity School, where I could have gone if I wanted to, <laughs> instead of preaching based on currently accepted Unitarian thought, he proclaimed his belief and understanding about some of the main points of what turned out to be transcendentalism. He argued, quoting the great source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, he argued the moral intuition is, be is a better guide to the moral sentiment than religious doctrine, and insisted upon the presence of true moral sentiment in each individual while discounting the necess necessity of belief in the historical miracles of Jesus. Again, quoting, Emerson anticipated a scholarly discussion, but was completely surprised by the negative outbursts that followed. Attacks on Emerson quickly became personal, if you think that only in this era this happens. He was called an atheist. <gasps> like the music man. A negative comment in 1838, not now, 
The chief Unitarian periodical of the time, the Christian Examiner, stated that Emerson's comments, so far as that they are intelligible, are utterly distasteful to the instructors of the school and to Unitarian ministers generally, by whom they are esteemed to be neither good divinity nor good sense. <laughs> Ouch! Ralph Waldo was then kicked out of Harvard for 40 years. Not burned at the stake, but punishment nonetheless. All this, this was shortly followed by one of the major, major turning points in our theological history, Theodore Parker's sermon on the transient and the permanent in Christianity, which was even more heretical. Of the many things he said in that sermon, one was that he questioned supernatural rationalism, which meant questioning all the stories of Jesus' miracles and the great truths of Christianity that rested on the shoulders of Jesus. This is in uh, 1840, 41, I think. He was supporting a new understanding of Christianity. He believed that the enduring permanent truth of Christianity wasn't about the history or the divinity of Jesus, or really even the need to include scripture as the basis of it all, he believed that it was based in the central thought that was, at the time in the male-centric language, love of man and love of God. His Christianity required no other central grounding. That was it. So many have asked me through the years about the word love and how come we use it so often as our center point. And if you look at what's being proposed by the Article II Commission, they have placed love in the center of their new, perhaps, heretical interpretations of what is at the center of our faith. And again, it's not so new for all of us. Universalist minister Hosea Ballou also talked about love in his writings and preached in the mid-19th century. And my colleague, Reverend Douglas Taylor, said it like this. He said, Hosea Ballou and other early proponents of universalism say that we are loved by God first. God's love is a given. Because of that love, we are led to live justly. God's love is not conditional or dependent on a certain set of rules being followed. God's love is not based on meeting a set of criteria first, Ballou used a most simple anecdote to drive this point home. Here's what he said. Your child has fallen in the mire, and her body and her garments are defiled. You cleanse her and array her in clean robes. The query is, do you love your child because you have washed her, or did you wash her because you love her? The doctrine of universal salvation says God will save everyone, all are loved, and none shall be removed from God's loving presence in the end. Hosea Ballou saw Jesus as a model for imitation, not a pivot of salvation history, but an arrow pointing the way to greater love and peace. Again, a pretty radical departure from the prevailing orthodoxy of its time, including Unitarian and Universalist theology of its time, and frankly, of any time. 
and an incredibly strong theological thread that weaves its way through who we currently claim to be as Unitarian Universalists. So where does all this leave us? There are so many more examples I could give of the clash between orthodoxy and heresy. And beyond that, there are also many more, many more examples I could give that would illustrate the phrase, I like my living tradition just the way it is. We do often find comfort and solace in what we have known. Change is hard. Change is constant, however, and we often strive for things that we can hold on to, things that will ground us as the world swirls around us. So what does this all mean then for the discussion we're gonna have after the service? I wanna close with a little story. A few weeks ago, I went to the first in-person holiday party with my ministerial support group that we've had in a number of years. I'm blessed to be in a group with some truly outstanding Unitarian Universalist ministers. I will avoid the UU name dropping. Bill Sinkford. At some point in our gathering, someone brought up the Article II Study Commission. And we had a really wide-ranging and fascinating discussion. And I want to tell you something. It changed my mind about how I was thinking about what was happening. I trusted that others also had thoughts about this, that others who I love and respect, others who, uh, that I opened my mind and heart to, and to tell you the truth, because of that, I'm still grappling with the proposed changes and frankly, probably will be, at least through General Assembly. So I come here today to say this. There is no monolithic denominational power ripping apart our theological grounding. There are people, ministers, lay leaders, and members of congregations, people really just like us, who've come together to try and understand what this time in history, this era of theological thought, filtered through the fire of our reason our understanding of the times in which we live and may live in the near future, who are trying to distill the best current way to capture and promote who we are now as Unitarian Universalists. This requires discussion. This requires an understanding from where we came. This requires an examination of who we are and who we aspire to be. It doesn't call us to orthodoxy. It calls us to having an open mind and an open heart. It calls us to maybe listening more. And I don't mean just to the sound of our own voices. It calls us to be thoughtfully considering who we collectively are and who we do aspire to be in the future. Not 325 CE, 1838, or 1961, but now 
in 2023. And that's my prayer for this congregation and for our association. Because if we truly put love at the center, the point is to not always argue about the words, but to try and actually live them. May that be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To listen to more UUCF sermons, go to uucf.org slash podcasts or subscribe via iTunes with the keywords podcasts UUCF.